0: This is part 11 in the book of Romans, and we're going to be looking at Romans three ten through 21, and this will be kind of the final section where Paul is showing that all are guilty before God, and then he'll transition into explaining um, how righteousness is manifested by the work of Christ, um, how we are justified by grace apart from the works of the law, and he'll begin to start explaining the mystery, this dispensation of grace and how we're justified by grace, uh, through faith in Christ. Um, But starting in verse 10, he's going to be quoting in the next uh, eight verses, Old Testament passages, uh, to show support for what he's been saying in the previous two chapters, that all men are guilty, that all are sinners, all are to be judged uh, by God because we are all guilty before God as sinners. Um, But verses 10 through 12, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And so you see the word none four times in these two, uh, or these three verses. And of course, none means none, right? No, not one. Not a single person um, is righteous, Right, not a single person doeth good, he says. Um, he's quoting here in these three verses from Psalms and Ecclesiastes, and all of these verses are from Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Isaiah. With Ecclesiastes seven twenty. So what he's doing is using the Old Testament, right, to show support for what he has said previously. So much like a pastor today may make a statement and then he'll go to the Bible, right, to show support for what he said. Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying something new, right, that these people have never heard before. But he's also going back to the Old Testament passages to show support for what he's uh, saying there in Romans. But Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sineth not. So this is Solomon, right, in Ecclesiastes way back in the Old Testament. Uh, King of Israel saying that there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good, not one. Uh, there's not a single person that does not sin. Uh, Psalms 14, verses 233. If you look at verse 1, actually, it says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. So you see Paul is quoting the Old Testament here. There's none that doeth good. And then Psalms 53, verse 2 through 4. says, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, they have not called upon God. So there you have passages in the Old Testament, again, supporting what Paul has previously said. There is none that doeth good. There is none that are righteous, no, not one. Um, it says that God looked upon the earth to see if any sought after him and there was none that sought after god and seeking god it didn't doesn't just mean like someone that maybe at one time tries to seek after god but a constant pursuit of god is what that means and there's none that do that um so in the next five verses 13 through 18 is more old testament passages it says their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues they have used deceit The poison of apes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Um, A sepulcher, in verse 13, of course, is a burial tomb or a vault that they put dead people in. Um, Think about Jesus when he deals with the Pharisees. He tells them they're like whitewashed tombs I believe he says because they look good on the outside but on the inside they're full of dead men bones right they're filthy they're uh, wicked on the inside and that's what this passage is saying right their throat is an open sepulchre well if you open the vault or the tomb that the dead person's in you can imagine the stink right the corruption the death that's coming out of that right he says that's what their throat is um, their tongues they have used deceit uh, in the proverbs it talks about Being aware of people that use flattery, because flattery is often used as deceit, right? It's often a lie, right? You try to make someone feel good to get something from them or to get on their good side. You're kind of being dishonest that you're just trying to make them feel good um, when you should speak the truth. Um, Again, Proverbs talks about a friend, rebuke from a friend is a good thing, right? Because they're trying to grow you, right? They're being honest with you. They're not just telling you what you want to hear. And this is kind of what this verse is talking about, right? Their tongues, they have used deceit. We use deceit with our tongues to get what we want, right? We uh, maybe tell a little white lie, they say, but that's wrong, right? It's not the truth. Um, so that's what it's talking about, their mouth being that open sepulcher, right? They use deceit with their tongues. They're lying, right? It's just like a sepulcher where you have that death instinct coming out of it, especially to God who is righteous when you don't tell the truth. Right to God, that's wickedness, that's filth. It's just like an open sepulcher. Um, It says they are swift to shed innocent blood. Uh, Think again about the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. If you go to John 8, verse 1 through 11, it says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued, asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, Let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So again, you have these Pharisees, they're quick to judge, right? And of course they're doing this to try to trap Jesus, but they're quick to judge this woman caught in adultery, right? They say, Moses tells us to stone her. Right? You see that that quickness there to judge this woman. Again, Jesus convicts them by saying, He who is without sin cast the first stone. You think about the Pharisees' hypocrisy, right? When they heard that, they were convicted by their own conscience because they knew. You know, I can't cast a stone because I have sin, right? So Jesus, he doesn't disobey the law here. But rather, he uses the mercy of the law by saying, throw the stone if you're just in doing so. And, of course, they knew they were not because each of them had sin. And so Jesus tells her, you know, your accusers don't condemn thee. You can't condemn someone if there's no one there to accuse her, right? If you have no accusations against you, why would you be condemned? So the accusers leave. He says, uh, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee. She says, no, man, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Um, But again, just seeing that quickness of the Pharisees to want to judge this woman. And then also in Matthew 23, verse 30 through 35, Jesus says, And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues, and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel and to the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. And so, again, these Pharisees saying, we are not partakers of our fathers when they killed the prophets. And Jesus is saying, you're going to be just like your fathers. He said, I'm going to send you prophets and scribes and you're going to kill them. And the blood of Abel to Zacharias is going to be upon you because you're just like your fa- uh, your fathers. He calls them serpents, a generation of vipers. He says, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Okay, again, their hypocrisy, thinking we're better than our fathers. But they end up being the ringleaders, pushing the crucifixion of Jesus, their very Messiah. Right? So again, that hypocrisy, but also that swift to shed innocent blood. Of course, Jesus was innocent. Um, so again, you can see these Old Testament verses that Paul is quoting. Can be applied to the leaders of the jewish people the pharisees and uh, the sadducees um, but the verses he's quoting here again is from the psalms and isaiah psalms 5 verse 9 through 10 it says for there is no faithfulness in their mouth their inward part is very wicked their throat is an open sepulcher, they flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God, let them fall by their own counsels, and cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. And so there you have the open sepulcher, right? Where I was talking about they flatter with their tongue, right? That deceit that they use with flattery. Um, but that's the verse he's quoting. Uh, Psalms ten seven is another one. He says, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. So again, that's verses uh, 14. I believe Romans 3 that he quotes there. Psalms 140, verse 3. It says, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips, Selah. That's another verse he's quoting. Psalms 36, 1. Says, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. I believe that's verse 18 of Romans 3. Uh, he's quoting this passage here. And then Isaiah 59, verse 7 through 8. It says their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting, and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. So, those are the passages that Paul is quoting from here. And again, his point is to show support for his uh, previous uh, last two chapters showing how all are guilty before God. And the Old Testament bears that out as well. Um, as he's about to explain, the law brings the knowledge of sin. So it's very easy to go back to the Old Testament and point out everybody's sins because they're under the law. Um, you think about you hear a lot about David's sin with Bathsheba, right? Moses and his sin of striking the rock instead of speaking to it. You, know, you hear a lot of these stories that you know about because it's easy to see. You don't ever really hear anything about Paul's sins after he got saved. Why is that? He still sinned, right? He's a man because he's not under law, he's under grace. The law brings the knowledge of sin. And so that's why I believe it's easier to find it in the Old Testament, because they're under that law, which shines a light on people's sin. And of course, it uh, shows that every man is guilty before God. As he's about to say here in verse 19, he says, "No, Now we know that what things soever the law saith is saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. So he says, the things whatsoever the law saith is saith to them uh, who are under the law. All men are judged by their works, but the law was only applied to Israel. Okay, the things that the law said, it said to those under the law. Who was the law given to? Children of Israel, the nation of Israel. It was not given to Gentiles. Romans 2.12, it says, for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. In verse 17 of Romans 2, it says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Gentiles did not rest in the law. The Jews did. And so those who try to apply the law to anyone today are wrong for two reasons. One, the law historically only ever applied to Israel. So you're in a church with a bunch of other Gentiles who aren't, Jews in the flesh, and someone gets up there and is trying to preach to you the law, it was never given to us. Even if we were under the law, dispensation of the law, it still wouldn't apply to us, because we're not Israel. So historically, it was only ever given to Israel. And it was only said, again, Romans 3 says, whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them under the law. So if you're not under the law, it's not saying it to you, okay? So historically... Uh, they would be wrong to say this to a Gentile because the law was given to Israel. But two, the law applies to no one today. Because as we'll see uh, further in Romans, in Romans 6.14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. In this dispensation, nobody's under the law, not even Israel. Okay, we're under grace in this dispensation. There's two reasons why it would be wrong for anyone today to try to, you back under the law um, but back in Romans 3 19 it says that every mouth may be stopped and specifically the Jews mouths were the ones that had to be stopped because the Gentiles were already pronounced guilty before God way back in Genesis 11 right? that's why he called out Abraham and called out a one nation that's why he called out the nation of Israel because he already considered the Gentiles uh, to be guilty of sin and so it was the, the Jews' mouths that needed to be stopped. And they were stopped by the law because the law showed their sin. Um, and this phrase, that every mouth may be stopped, is speaking of, you think about in court, when do you speak or when does somebody speak on your behalf? If you're being accused of something. It's when they give a defense. Right? That's when they open their mouth and speak in court. Well, if the law shows your sin and your guilt and you have no defense, your mouth is stopped. Right. You're not gonna say nothing because it's, you have the evidence clearly. I'm guilty. Right. There's nothing I can say to defend myself. So I think that's what it's saying when it says, um, "Whatsoever the law saith, saith to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. Right? That no person has a defense, and all the world may become guilty before God. Right? So all the world is guilty before God. Now every mouth is stopped. There is no defense that a man can give to God. Right? You hear a lot of times preachers saying. When you get to heaven, are you going to tell God, you know, I was righteous? When you see his righteousness and think about his perfection, you're not going to be able to say anything, right? Your mouth will be stopped. You can't say, you have no reason to judge me, God, right, based on your own works, okay? And so God's righteousness shows our unrighteousness, as he talked about earlier in chapter 3 here. That's what it's talking about, every mouth may be stopped, because all are gifted before God, no man has a defense, in verse 20, he says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, of course, the word therefore, you have to ask why it's therefore, right? It's, uh, he's about to explain or expound upon what he has previously said. And so basically, he's saying is, therefore or because all the world is judged and guilty before God, then there's no hope for justification by the law. Right, that's what this therefore is leading up to. Um, there is no hope for justification by the law because the law brings the knowledge of sin. Okay, you look at Romans 8.3, Paul talks about the law, and again, Paul teaches right. we're not under the law. In Romans 8.3, he says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So Paul says the law cannot do it because it's weak in the flesh. Paul calls the law weak. Galatians 4.9 is another place. It says, but now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? So here he says those uh, elements that put you in bondage are weak and beggarly. That's the law. It's weak and beggarly. It's beggarly because it demands more, right? More and more and more. You have to do it continually. You're never completed fulfilling the law. You have to do it until you die, right? It's weak. It's beggarly. It cannot make you perfect in the flesh. Something you would have to continually do until you die. Whereas Christ's righteousness applied to you is a one-time thing. Okay, and that's the difference between law and grace. That's how you can be justified by grace. It's a one-time thing by your faith in Christ and him imputing his righteousness to you. That is not weak and beggarly. The law is what's weak and beggarly. Then also in the Old Testament, Isaiah 64. Isaiah here says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So again, another verse in the Old Testament talking about our righteousness being filthy rags. Talking about our iniquity takes us away like the wind. Uh, he says, we all do fade as a leaf. You think about leaves in the fall, as we're experiencing right now. Right? They dry up, they turn from green to brown, and they fall. It's useless. It's pointless. What good is it? just dried up and fell to the ground. That's humanity and our sinful flesh. That's what he's saying here. Um, Because of our iniquities, we fade as a leaf, and the wind carries us away. Okay, that's what Isaiah is saying in the Old Testament. It's because of our uh, unclean unrighteousness, that's like filthy rags. Okay, it's pointless. It's useless. And so that's, again, what the law does. It's weak. It's beggarly. It cannot justify you. If only so, your guilt before God. It Says by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Um, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. But you also have verses like Romans two thirteen, and this was kind of a difficult passage or verse to try to explain what it's saying. Because in Romans 2.13, it says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. And James teaches this very thing in James 1. Of course, we know that James was writing to Israel. He was not writing to the body of Christ. But James says in verse 22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, He says, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So you have Paul here in Romans 3 saying, uh, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. But in Romans two, thirteen, he said, the doers of the law are justified, not the hearers only. So is kind of like a contradiction here. And we know we went through Romans 2. He was talking about time before, right? Not this present day of grace. Right the time before, those who did the law were the ones that would be justified. But in Romans 3.20, he's saying, All right, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. So that's why it was a difficult passage to try to explain. And I think what he's getting at is, and what the Bible teaches, is that works alone cannot justify. James teaches it's works and faith. Right, David had faith in God. Abraham had faith in God. Now, it wasn't faith in Christ's death and resurrection because that hadn't happened. But it was still faith in what God had said. Um, It's their faith in what God has said that brings justification. And, of course, their faith was in what God told them to do, right? And so their works wrought with their faith to bring justification. It wasn't just what they did that made them justified. Does that make sense? I think that's what, again, Paul is getting at and what the Bible actually teaches. Works alone cannot justify you, but faith. And of course, under the law, it's faith and works. You think about Paul before he got saved. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says in Philippians, I was above my peers in the law, right? Blameless. So he could have said, been an example for someone who would have been justified by the law if he was blameless in the law. But what did he not have? faith in Christ the Messiah, right? He was persecuting Peter and their group because he thought Christ was not the actual Christ, right? He thought Jesus was just a man, a blasphemer against God. And so Paul did not have that faith until, of course, Christ appeared to him. So it's not just by the works of the law that man is justified. It's uh, faith with works. And James teaches this in James 2, verse 22 through 24, he says, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. So James is saying it's works and faith under the law. Okay? Paul says, By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's not just what you do that justifies it's your faith in God as well. Um, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, specifically to it's Christ's death and resurrection, his sacrifice for your sins. That also is what justifies you, even in the new covenant, right? They had to have faith in Christ as Messiah, and part of the prophecies that Christ fulfilled was dying for Israel's sins, okay, and dying for all of man's sins. And uh, Hebrews 10 explains this. It says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers therein too perfect. For them would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged could have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And so here it explaining that. Animal's blood, animal sacrifice cannot take away your sins. That's why you have to do it every year. Christ's sacrifice is the only one that can take away humanity's sins. And we'll get into this a little more uh, next week in Romans 3. Paul explains that in verse 25. It says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past. So Christ's sacrifice was a propitiation not just for our sins today. Not from just the cross forward, but also from the cross backwards. All those people that have faith in God, they still had sins. Even those who kept the law and offered the sacrifices to make themselves right with the law, right, and who paid for their sins with their sacrifices, well, those animal sacrifices could not take away their sins. It was only Christ shed blood. So because of their faith in God, Christ's sacrifice will take away their sins. Does that make sense? still complicated. I So it's not just their works of the law, but it's also their faith in God and Christ's sacrifice for those sins that justifies a person. Okay? Does that make sense? So as we've been here, we've heard in the past that the people look to the cross for their salvation. Right. But not necessarily they knew what all was going to come down. Right, They didn't look at the cross. Right, They just have faith in what God had revealed to them. Right. He did not reveal the cross to everyone before the cross. But the cross has to happen for them to be able to be justified. justified. To have their yeah. sins taken away. Okay. <laughs> because the blood of bulls and goats cannot do that. It's impossible. It's not possible is what Hebrews says. So that's where I think, right, Paul says it's the doers of the law that are justified. We're not just the doers of the law, but those who have faith in God. And their faith will be counted for righteousness, and Christ's sacrifice will be applied to their account. Right? And so I think that's what, again, Paul teaches. And like I said, he'll explain that. Uh, verse 25 is just a few verses after this, but we won't make it that far this week. Um, but I think that's what the Bible also teaches as a whole. right? It's Christ's sacrifice is the only thing that can take away humanity's sins, whether you're under the law the old covenant, new covenant, or whether you're in this dispensation of grace in the body of Christ. For it is only Christ, His death and resurrection, that can uh, take away humanity's sin. Because by the law is the knowledge of sin. First uh, Corinthians fifteen sixteen, Paul says. First uh, 1 Corinthians 15.56 The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. So what is the strength of sin? It's the law. Because the law says do not go over 35 miles per hour. Well that doesn't magnify all the times you go 35 miles per hour. What does it shine a light on? The time you do the 50 and the 35. Right? That's what the law does. It brings that knowledge of sin. How do you know you disobey the law? I went over 35, right? I did 36 and a 35. Knowledge of breaking the law. Okay, that's what sin, uh, the law does. It shines a light on your sin. It's the strength of sin. That's why if you're always thinking about the law and what you're supposed to be doing, you're always going to be focused on your sin because it's always going to expose those sins. You can not be focused on that. And so by the law is the knowledge of sin. Therefore, no flesh will be justified by their deeds of the law. Because it'll just magnify their sins. Again, they'll constantly be having to go do the sacrifices. So again, that's why it takes Christ one sacrifice to justify humanity. And so verse 21, But now uh, the, tr- the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so, but now is a transitional phrase. But now. It means things have changed. That was then But now, this is happening. Okay, that's what but now means. Anytime you see that phrase, but now, you need to pay attention because most likely it's talking about something that has changed or something new. Something that was, but now, this is what's happening. And so it's, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So what's happening now that wasn't happening in the past? The righteousness of God without the law. So in the Old Testament, the righteousness of God was always manifested by the law. Uh, you think about when Christ, uh, when God gave the law, He gave Israel, told them how to do righteous judgments. And of course this shows God's righteousness, that He can command a nation on how to give righteous judgments. Now Leviticus 19.36 or Leviticus nineteen thirty five, he says, "You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in metierd, in weight or in measure. Just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just ten shall ye have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord." Deuteronomy twenty five. He says, if there be a controversy between men, and they come into judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So who do you justify? The righteous, you condemn the wicked. Okay, all these laws that he gives in this whole chapter, he goes about explaining how you should judge people in certain situations, and he's giving them, explaining to them how to make righteous judgments. So again, you think about the law and all the good that it says to do, and tells you what is wrong. That shows God's righteousness, that he can tell humanity what's right and what's wrong. And, of course, our conscience bears witness that it's true, right? He says, I shall not kill. Your conscience bears witness that this is a righteous thing that I should not kill. And someone that does kill is a wicked person, okay? So the law is what manifests God's righteousness, right? And so what's happening now under grace is the righteousness of God without the law. So how do you have the righteousness of God without the law? And, of course, he's going to explain that it's because of Christ and his righteousness, what he did here on earth on our behalf. Okay, and so that's how you have the righteousness of God now being shown apart from the law. So that's the difference here. But now the righteousness of God is manifested without the law. And of course, he says it was being witnessed by the law and the prophets, right? The law and the prophets ultimately pointed to the righteousness of God. So we'll stop there. Um, Again, you have a lot of verses here in these first three chapters that are kind of difficult, I feel like, to explain. A lot of times people go through the book of Romans and they make it out as if it's a simple book. And the gist of it is somewhat simple. But there's a lot of passages within this book, which you go verse by verse, that it's like, it's kind of difficult to explain what is he saying here. Right. So any thoughts or questions on these verses.